Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to speak about the One Million March for Children. So yesterday, Canadians from coast to coast met in parks on Parliament Hill and in our streets to protest transition surgeries for minors, protesting also as well schools keeping secrets from parents about their child's sexuality, males using female washrooms, and the th- such things. Atheists, Muslims, and Christians all participated in these protests. Leaders of the Liberal Party of Canada weighed in, the NDP leader joined the counter-protesters, and the Conservative leader remained silent. Clearly, this is a polarizing issue, and we want to take some time to dissect it. And so I know, Aaron, you were there at the Windsor event, and I wanted to hear from you and our listeners as well. What did you witness, and what's your assessment of the event? On the upside, there were several thousand people, I would say, that showed up. The news originally reported 750, but I'm I'm used to looking out at people seated in our auditorium on a Sunday, so I have a pretty good idea about what four, five, six, seven hundred people in seated position looks like. I would say there was a, at least a few thousand people that were there at its at its peak, so that was a good thing. And keep in mind, this is in the middle of a workday, you know, nine o'clock to eleven o'clock in the morning. Lots and lots of people were not able to make it because of their jobs. So I would say that the attendance in Windsor was wonderful. People from all walks of life were there. That's also a good sign. It wasn't limited to one particular demographic group. Uh, Contrary to rumors, counter-protesters behaved. We weren't sure what to expect in our area. There was probably only a couple dozen, maybe up to three or four dozen of them at the very most. They just kind of stood in the back and were pretty silent, so we didn't have any security issues. We also received some positive coverage from the Star, they, uh, the Windsor Star, which is our local slash regional newspaper. Now, later on, I, I noticed you brought this to my attention. I can't stand it when they put an article out and then they amend it later and they add to it. So they, they added some nonsensical quotes from our opponents. But overall, I think it was a successful event. event. The weather was good. It was well attended. There was people from all walks of life uh, speaking at it. There was, uh, I think, two two pastors, like myself included, spoke, no, three. And then there were three imams from Shia and Sunni mosques in our area. There was a woman that identified herself as an atheist feminist who was lamenting the use of female bathrooms and female space by males identifying as females. And then there was a a very interesting speaker that was featured on the What is a Woman documentary that Matt Walsh put out. Uh, They call themselves Scott King Nugent. And they they are a woman who has quote-unquote transitioned to a man and now regrets it. And and this person is very opposed to uh, tr- the trans um, movement's attempt to perform sex surgeries on children, frankly, and on human beings, period. They, they really regret their decision. So it was interesting to hear from, from her on the subject. Some, some downsides, very few. I mean, overall, I think it, it accomplished 
what it was supposed to accomplish, but maybe some minuses which were to be expected. There were obviously some mixed message messages from the speakers and from the host. There was a bit bit of a I would say an, an inappropriate emphasis on respecting choices no matter what your choices are. I don't think we're not called to respect everyone's choices. So when you say, hey, we don't want the school to impose uh, transgenderism on our kids. We don't then turn around and say, but if your family's into that, that's okay. We're fine with that freedom of freedom of choice. No, it's wrong. It's wrong for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I think there were some mixed messages at times. No, no parent should be permitted to send their child off for gender transition surgery. And in fact, it's wrong even when you're an adult, but that wasn't the focus of the event. Uh, I think there could have been some, pe- people tend to, they, they want to quickly find places of commonality, common ground. They go they go neutral and soft on some of the hard issues. And, and I don't think that's appropriate for us to do that. Just don't comment on them if you don't want to kind of get into that. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to get into criticizing the LGBTQ lifestyle for adults, just don't comment on it. Mm-hmm. But don't say things like, you know, but if that's your choice, that's totally fine. And if you want to do it, yeah, that's great. You're sending mixed messages. You're affirming immoral choices, especially if you're a Christian. And then, of course, I don't expect for Christians to attend every event, every demonstration, every initiative. We all have limited time and resources. But I think it would have been nice to see some more pastors there. I saw a couple retired pastors, and I also saw some people that I assume were pastors wearing clerical collars, maybe from the Catholic Church or mainline churches. I don't know where they came from. I didn't chat with them. But I personally did not witness uh, any of the um, pastors of you know larger local evangelical churches in our county present. Again, there there might have been some I that I didn't see, but um, that would be my my criticism. And of course, then there's always there's all the soup kitchen Christians out there that uh, jump on board with the social justice causes, giving feeding soup to the poor, giving out water bottles on the side of the street. Seem to find a lot of joy in uh, social justice causes that everybody kind of gets on board with, collecting cans for Christmas or whatever it might be, and not that there's anything wrong with that. But if you're actually committed to social justice, it would have been nice to see many, many more Christians uh, at that event. But overall, I I think it um, was a valuable experience, and I was uh, happy to be part of it, Chris. That's great. Now, what's your sense, or have you heard at all about some of the other protests taking up a part across Canada? Yeah, I think they were all well attended. Uh, again, especially during work hours, there was lots of people in Ottawa. There was people in Chatham. There was people at the main cities across our country. So I, th- I think I, I didn't hear of any where there was a an absence of individuals. There were some scuffles that broke out. Apparently in Ottawa, there were protesters and counter-protesters pulling flags back and forth. Um, It would be interesting to know what these signs said. Apparently there were two people arrested in Ottawa uh, by the hate speech police for carrying signs that said something on it that was apparently offensive. I'd really like to know what those signs said, unless it's calling for the death of people. I I suspect that... um, uh, our opponents are going to want to, when they get desperate, they'll try to use hate speech laws because they don't have any good arguments. So they, they use hate speech laws. They they pretend to know you, your motives. Hate is a motive word. 
and they pretend to know your motives. You're you're hateful. You're phobic. Those are all. You don't know if someone's phobic or hateful. And frankly, there's nothing. It, it's immoral to be truly hateful, <laughs> but you can't police people's motives. You have mm-hmm. to police people's actions. But our opponents will resort to those sorts of allegations and the quote-unquote hate speech laws, which they're, they're just made-up language. It doesn't even mean anything. There's no substance to it to um, to attack their opponents. And I, I do know that, that that did happen in Ottawa. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the New Democrat, crap party. If you're outside of Canada, there are radical socialists in our country. He was marching with the counter-protesters, so basically supporting the mutilization, uh, mutilation of children and parents uh, being kept, schools keeping secrets from parents with regard to their, sh- their, their child's on-campus preferred sexual identity. Justin Trudeau was on Twitter doing the thing he does all the time, which is reframing the argument, you know, we're we're not going to tolerate biphobia, we're not going to tolerate homophobia, we're not going to discriminate. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's not even what this issue is about. The issue is about parents do not want their child being sent to a public school and pretending to be a boy if they're a girl, pretending to be a girl if they're a boy, and never being told that. Parents don't want children, taxpayers don't want children having their genitals cut off with tax dollars. It's it's immoral. It's wrong. I don't even know why we're having this conversation in some respects. It's so obvious. Everybody should be in agreement with this. And this trans individual that spoke at our protest was on board. Every homosexual should be on board with that basic fact. We don't chop parts off of confused kids. I don't know. It's a crazy world to think that we're even having this conversation. And then to show, again, the polarization, uh, Pierre Polyev, the conservative party, really didn't say anything. And there was something on the news about him asking his MPs not to speak to the issue. So it, it just demonstrates that the the big the big politicians they're, they're not going to do anything until they're they hear from the people they're either going to side with our opponents or they're going to be silent on the issue it's like the the wetted finger in the air which way is the wind blowing that's their response and so it's it would be foolish for us to assume that without pushback that the politicians are going to fix this issue or that teachers unions are going to bend they're not they're going to continue to promote it and um, I think it was meaningful then that Canadians from all walks of life were were able to express themselves. And it's a great reminder that when I criticize these political leaders, it, I'll just speak to the, the Christians that listen to, to my show. If you don't have the capacity to critically analyze the decisions of your preferred party leader, uh, you're part of the problem. So you might be, I know a lot of people are, let's say, pro, I'm a conservative party because it's the least, I'm a conservative party member, I'm pro-conservative. Well, if you can't even say to your leader, dude, uh, you should have been there, you should have at least endorsed it, you should you should at least promote what we're talking about, they assume that you're okay with their silence or their uh, absence from these protests and... Um, 
that's a problem. They become part of the problem. You become part of the problem. So I'm, I'll, I'll criticize anyone, regardless of who I vote for, if their behavior is not uh, becoming of um, a responsible citizen or adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of uh, stuff to still see in the news coming out from this. One of the biggest questions, I think, on a lot of our minds is, what effect will this protest have? Will it change things? I would say yes and no. No and yes. Let's start with the no. I, in and of itself, in, in an ideal world, in a, in a democracy, for example, you would have election day where the people express their desire for such and such to represent them. And because a four-year term is a rather long term and a lot can happen, protests, letter writing, calling your MP or MPP, your member of parliament, your member of provincial parliament, is supposed to continue to provide you as a citizen with opportunities to give feedback and input and affect the decisions that your leaders, uh, your, your elected officials, are making on your behalf. And I do think that happens with some of the lesser issues. I'm not convinced it happens with the moral issues, the, the, the blatant moral issues that we're dealing with. You get this sense that the Liberal Party has an agenda. No matter what you say, no matter how many letters you write, no matter what you protest, when, you, when they get voted in on, on election day, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to promote, for instance, transgenderism. It doesn't matter what you do. And it doesn't matter what you do. The conservatives will always be either silent or give mixed messages or be split on the issue. The NDP will always be radically in favor of it. And it's the same in the United States. The Republicans will be will flip-flop on the issue and the Democrats will be all on board with these woke causes. And in that respect, it can be frustrating because you don't always feel like you're living in a democracy. You feel like, well, there's democracy on election day, but the rest of the time it's it's kind of farcical. They just, they're going to do what they want no matter what you say. And because uh, we have these partisan political groups that are very divided and very much at war with one another, no, I, I don't think that having a protest is going to affect meaningfully in any immediate sense party platforms. Justin Trudeau is not going to back off. He's going he's to keep pushing for his agenda. You can go to Ottawa. You can have convoys. You can write letters. You can go to protests. And he's not going to bend or flex on these issues at all. Neither is Jagmeet Singh. And I really doubt the conservative leader uh, will as well. So I don't think we should evaluate the effectiveness of protests or marches like this based upon political responses from our political leaders. But where I see these protests as being beneficial is it brings out of the woodwork all the opposition to these ideologies from the run-of-the-mill citizen, which is really good. It's encouraging when you look out and say, wow, there's people from all different churches and mosques and synagogues and non-religious, quote-unquote, non-religious backgrounds that all are on board. And then there's public polls that take place. One of our local um, very left-leaning news stations here in our city put out a poll. Now, of course, the question that they asked is it's, it's very inaccurate. Uh, I, I brought it with me. They, they asked a, a polling question online. It said, do you support the anti-LGBTQ rallies being held across Canada today? Well, again, that's a spin. That's an, not even an accurate question. It's like, do, do you um, 
support uh, or not support the uh, presence of unicorns uh, at City Hall? Well, well, they're not there. So it's it's a nonsensical question. That the the one million March for Children obviously has people in it that are opposed to the LGBTQ agenda, but that's not what this march is fundamentally about. People are going to comment on that issue. It's related. But this is specifically about four children, four children, four children. It's actually in the name. It's the one million march for children. So the question is not really a good question. But nevertheless, it's within the ballpark of what was being demonstrated against. And amazingly, in response to that question, do you support the anti-LGBTQ rallies being held today across Canada? 96% of people at the end of the day said yes, and only 4% said no. Mm-hmm. Now, that's pretty telling. And I think I don't think we should be, I was surprised it was that high, but maybe I shouldn't be surprised because the majority of people do not agree with any of these woke causes, with any of them. I would say upward of 90, 95% of people think behind the scenes, it's ridiculous, but I just, I'm just not going to get involved. Most people are passive in their response, but they have a mind and they have an opinion on it and they don't agree with it. It's very clear to me that the lines are, are drawn firmly in the concrete. We have two opposing visions for Canada and two opposing visions for morality. So again, Jagmeet Singh is going to continue his anti-child pro-trans policies. He's not going to flex on that. The union, the CUPE union, which is a public employees union here in Canada, just came out with an anti-protest, pro-trans statement. They're supposed to be representing workers, Mm -hmm. like people that are employed in the public realm, and they're they're pro-trans. They're they're in favor of children having their genitals cut off. And these are the people that many are paying union dues to. They're probably not going to change. Conservatives, the last few leaders, they're going to be silent on the issue. And silence is a, is a form of complicity um, in the uh, the evil that we see going on around us. Pastors that didn't speak out against lockdowns probably aren't going to come out of their churches to speak about any of these issues, any of these issues. And it, it to me, when I when I think of Christians that disengage from the demonic evil activity around them, it maybe an image that comes to mind is a guy that cuts his lawn every Saturday. Every Saturday morning, he has his coffee, he has his breakfast, he reads the newspaper, and he goes out and cuts his grass. That's just what he always does. Just I just cut my grass every Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. But suddenly there's a forest fire, like we had in British Columbia, that's sweeping across your province, and it's literally burning the house down next door. But because it's Saturday, you're still out cutting your grass, even though your house is about to burn down. Mm-hmm. And I, I see... I see that as an apt analogy for many Christians. We're just gonna we're just gonna have our services and our little Bible studies and baby dedications or baby baptisms. And we're going to have our youth group on Friday night. Even though the world is burning, we're we're not gonna say anything. We're just gonna keep cutting the grass, keep running the same plays. And I used to be more discouraged by that, but I've just, I'm going to 
continue to call people out on that behavior, but at, at some point you just gotta move on and realize if you're gonna be passive in the face of, face of evil and be complicit in the evil, you're gonna have to stand before God one day. And I, I'd, I'd hate to be you, but you're gonna have to stand before God one day and give an account. And in the meanwhile, we're gonna raise up a new generation that will speak the truth. Now, I, I do want to commend um, the Muslims for in many ways diving right into the fray in this regard. And you know, I want to give honor to whom honor is due. And while I am not a Muslim, and I do not believe in Islamic theology, especially when I was younger, I had a lot of opportunity to debate with and build relationships with people of the Islamic faith. I'm fairly knowledgeable, I think, of their views and a lot of the cultures that are surrounding the Islamic faith. And we obviously have some major differences, but they're up there saying, stop chopping parts off kids. God made Adam and Eve, not Eve and Eve. And that's true. And I, I want to commend them for that. Um, so the, the sad thing is it should be, many of these Muslims have come to Canada because of the historic Christian values that are intrinsic to the founding of our nation. They've benefited from much that historic Canadian culture had to offer, but unfortunately, many Christians have gone silent, and they're just out cutting the lawn while the, the, the forest is burning around them. And so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, Christians, if there's uh, growth in Islam, even if historical Canadians start to look at the Islamic faith and say, I, I want to be part of that because they're speaking the truth mm -hmm. against these lies. Don't be surprised. It's your fault. You, you, you bear responsibility for that. And um, please don't be um, trying to uh, distract by um, you know, jumping into debates, criticizing Islamic theology when you can't even turn your lawnmower off and grab a bucket mm -hmm. of water and throw it on the fire that's mm -hmm. raging around us. You, you, just lo you just lost your voice. Mm. Now, this brings up an interesting question, which is, to what degree can we work with Muslims on these issues? We know that there's not... It's, there was not a great number of pastors out at this right. event that you saw, but we could ask, you know, is it okay to work with members of other religious or religious groups or pro, um, religions on protests of this nature? So I'm going to say, yes, we should work with people of other religions or even those that claim not to have a religion, but with qualifications. So I'm going to give a yes with qualifications response. Let's talk about some historical precedents. When it comes to major catastrophic cultural issues which threaten civilization, which threaten basic economic prosperity, which threaten life, historically, historically Christians in our own country wouldn't think twice about linking arms with non-Christians to fight against evil. Let's think about World War I. The Canadians that fought in World War I, that wasn't a Christian army. It was an army with people of various persuasions. Now, obviously, because it took place back in 1915, there would have been a greater percentage of people at the time who identified with some form of Christianity. But that wasn't a, a requirement to join the Canadian expeditionary forces to Europe. World War II, again, and then it late 30s, 1940s, the Canadian Armed Forces were not composed of Christians exclusively. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we think of um, even in the 1800s, especially in the United States of America, when even though Christians on both sides of the Atlantic and Wilberforce in England, Abraham Lincoln in, in the United States, spoke out against uh, the slavery of Africans on American soil, they they weren't the, the only voices in this. People that weren't born-again Christians, committed Christians, reformed Christians, Anabaptist Christians, even Catholic Christians. There were people from all sorts of walks of life that spoke out against the evils of owning slaves. And so historically, uh, the, the Christian church has felt comfortable sending its people out to join arms, join arms with with non-Christians for to, to stop the the forward movement of evil in mm. in in culture. And so it's interesting that we've been asking this question. Now, it should go without saying, but sometimes you need to add qualifications when you speak mm. to these issues, that as Christians, we we are motivated by a desire to see the sovereignty of God recognized. We are motivated by a desire to see our creator's laws, the laws that he's given to all human beings upheld. For example, we do believe that creational marriage should be upheld by the state, that it should be acknowledged by the state. It's not just a, it's not a political uh, reality. Like can, can people of the same gender marry? No, the Bible's clear on this. God did make humanity, male and female. Apparently today on the um, local radio station, they were focusing on this issue. All this, this imam got up and said, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Eve and Eve. You know, this is anti-LGBTQ, anti-gay rhetoric is what the Windsor Star called it. No, it's called the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. And you're actually mocking our religion. That that right there is Christophobia. That right there is Islamophobia. <laughs> <laughs> When you're mocking our belief system, you say you believe in inclusivity, but this is the, the grand lie. In, in order to accept one faith system, you have to reject another by definition. And so in order to promote gay marriage, for example, you, you have to reject the Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact. So we, we want creational marriage to be upheld. We, we do want courts that are based on the laws of God, so whether it's don't murder people from conception to natural death, or don't steal people's property, don't tyrannize people, uh, allow for liberty of conscience. We want those. We want people to genuinely repent of their sins and put their faith in the living God, because we know that even if we even if we're able to order our society in a better way than it's currently ordered human beings will still die and enter a Christless eternity unless they repent of their their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that to be true. But that's not all we believe. When we see the literal destruction of human life, we should be willing to link arms with anybody to stop that. And we actually do do this on a regular basis. I've done anti-abortion work with Roman Catholics who have a very different view of what justification is than I do. Uh, I've spoken at rallies with libertarians and member of various sectarian Christian groups. And once in a while, I get these ridiculous emails or messages. Why were you speaking at a rally with so-and-so? Do you know that they're not orthodox in their Christian beliefs? 
It's like, dude, this wasn't a church service. Mm-hmm. I showed up at the rally. I spoke to an issue that has broad cultural ramifications. I don't really care who's the next speaker, the previous speaker on on the platform. And I'll speak out against the chopping off of body parts of children with anyone that will show up at these rallies. You know, in, in Galatians chapter 6, it encourages us, says, you know, do not, do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. That, by the way, is a reminder for us to think long-term, not short-term. Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, we cannot give up. We have to think long-term. Too many Christians are short-term thinkers. Oh, I went to the rally. The policies didn't change, so I, I, I'm moving out of the country. Really? Our opponents have been working at this for decades. We're supposed to be people of perseverance. Um, e- even in terms of starting institutions, people are so, oh, let's, let's start a Christian school. Oh, you know, it didn't grow quite as fast as we thought. Well, let's close her down. Or, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you're doing it. That's not our thing. Like, we need to think long-term. How do, how do the choices that we make today not just affect our tomorrow, but affect our society 40, 50 years from now? So we cannot give up. We have to be people of perseverance. And But then it goes on to say, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Who defines good? God. To everyone. You're like, well, that's just Christians. No, it goes on to say, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we, we do have a first priority in terms of responsibility to do good to one another. But that verse calls us to do good to everyone. We prioritize the household of faith, but we have we have a responsibility to do good to everyone. And who who could possibly argue that doing good goes beyond delivering flowers to someone who's in the hospital, writing an encouragement card to someone who's bereaved? These are good things. But how about subduing an ax murderer? How about subduing a school shooter? That's doing good. That's protecting life. Even Christian police officers regularly kick doors in with non-Christian police officers to stop a man who's beating the tar out of his wife. doesn't say, well, you know, I know this is a good thing to do. We're supposed to stop evil and crime in society, but are, are, you, are you a born-again Christian man? Because if you're not a born-again Christian, I don't know if I want to be seen kicking this door in because, you know, it might look like I'm theologically compromised. Mm-hmm. Well, when I stand up on a stage and say, end the mandates— and the guy next to me comes up and he's not a believer or he holds to some aberrant beliefs and someone's criticizing that, it's total nonsense. So the qualifications then, we need to talk about this. I, I believe that an, an, on issues that are of uh, sort of, of, of interest to everyone, uh, the, the stopping the destruction of life, stopping abuse, stopping criminal acts, uh, pushing for a properly ordered society, which again, we believe is based upon God's law, we should be willing to join arms with anyone that will show up. But there are a few qualifications that we need to take into consideration. We can never lose sight of our ultimate Christian goal. I'll say it again. We can never lose sight of our ultimate Christian goal. We want to see the salvation of lost people. And we also not but, and, and we also want to see in the here and now a properly ordered society. Secondly, we should never hide our faith. 
doesn't mean that when we speak on the stage, one of the co feedback comments we got yesterday is why did nobody open their Bible? Because it's not a preaching event. That's not the purpose of this event. And by the way, just think about it practically. If the Christian preachers get up and they start preaching sermons at the event, well, then the imams are going to preach sermons at the event, and the atheists are going to preach their sermons at the event. So it just doesn't work. you got to stay focused. you got to pick your battles and pick your timing when you're going to say what you're going to say. Um, but we don't hide our faith. So we don't say things. This, this would be examples of uh, hiding our faith when in, in an attempt— to cozy up with our allies on these issues, we, we misspeak, we misrepresent the nature of the Christian faith. We, if we say things like, oh, the, the Quran and the Bible are essentially the same. No, they're not. Uh, someone made a comment to the effect that, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the, the Quran and, and the Bible. Well, I, I suppose one could find some verses, some lines, some sentences, but they're very different mm -hmm. books in terms of salvation and even in terms of ethics. So just don't say anything if you don't want to get into the weeds on that, but don't tell people that it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. The, the God of the Islamic faith is not the God of the Christian faith. Our, mm -hmm. our God is triune, for, for example. No minor point, tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. Don't say things like, I respect your choice to choose. I hear this from people that are opposed to abortion. Well, we respect your right to choose. No, we don't. What do you mean you respect your right to choose? Rights are given to us by God, and God hasn't given you a right to choose whether or not you are going to murder your unborn child. You don't say to someone, well, you know, I, I just I just want my kid to be protected from transgenderism in the schools, but I, you know, I respect your right to choose. Jesus would never have said that. Mm -hmm. I respect your right to choose. So when you're working with, and we call it co-belligerence, but when you're, when you're working with people of like mind and social issues, you don't change the gospel, compromise your beliefs. Mm -hmm. You don't say, well, I really don't care what you do behind closed doors. Okay, well... If you mean by that, it doesn't keep me up at night, and I'm not pressing for laws where every person has a camera in their bedroom and the government's monitoring your sexual behavior. Okay, we agree on that. But as a Christian, of course we care about people that are involved in sin. If We were talking to a young Christian couple yesterday that we love dearly. We had them over for dinner, and she was saying how in the place she works, one of her coworkers who claims to be a believer was admitted to sleeping with her boyfriend, and she, you know, she told her that's wrong. Well, that's a good thing. You don't say, well, it's your choice. I don't really care what you do as long as you show up to work on time. Mm -hmm. the, the right thing to do is to, you care about the person, you confront them because you care for them. You don't say, well, if you want to be gay, I'm okay with that. If you want to abort, I'm okay with that. Let me just lay out your options. Now, not to, not to open old wounds, but uh, I, I will not back down on our criticism of what we see in many of our uh, pregnancy centers, our anti-abortion centers in Canada, where we're hearing firsthand witness and even admissions in some of these pregnancy centers that when women come in and they're considering abortion, sometimes they leave without ever being told abortion is wrong. It's like, well, I, I respect your 
your right to choose. I'm gonna give you options counseling. We're, we wanna maintain an audience here, so we're gonna give you option counseling. Meanwhile, the person's hours away from killing their child. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, you have people that serve in these institutions making us look like we're the bad guys. So that's mean. I put a lot of time into this. The, life's on the line. This isn't about your shtick. This isn't about your preferred ministry. This isn't about your opinion, brother or sister. You, you, you don't, as a Christian, you don't let someone who's about to go murder their child not be told straight up, please, please do not abort your child. You don't say, well, we respect your right to choose. That is paganism. That's not Christianity. That is not Christianity. There's a way to do it. There's winsomeness and discernment involved there, right? But we live in a generation, you and I were talking this morning about how you were you were born after the Lord's Day Act was overturned, whereas I would have been about 12 years old in Canada when I remember you, you couldn't shop on Sundays. You couldn't, I think maybe gas stations were open. I can't quite remember. But there was a, there was a sense in society where um, people needed a day of rest. And so things closed down on Sunday. You went to church or you stayed home if you were not a believer, and then things were closed. And now the, the new generation, it's almost... It's hard for them to even wrap their mind around what it would be like to live in a culture where some the Sabbath law is actually recognized by the government. Mm -hmm. And so because that's hard to believe, it's 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 hard for many younger Christians to believe what you it's actually okay for a Christian to say to someone, "No, you do not have the right to abort mm -hmm. their child." Instead we we adopt the world's language. Well, this is your choice. I just want to lay out your options for you. Babies are dying. Or when Christians say, you know, I respect your right to be in a same-sex relationship. You're using the word respect. If you have any sense of who Jesus is and you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, can you, can you imagine any situation or can you identify any situation in the Bible where someone is sinning and Jesus used language to the effect of, well, I, I respect your right to um, murder your neighbor. I respect your right to steal. I respect your right to sleep around. I respect your right to, you know, have consensual sex with another adult. I respect that. But, you know, that is such the antithesis of the Christian faith, but that's symptomatic of the drift. What what it says to me is people are literally listening more to the world, world than they are to the word. Their their worldview, their their perspectives on morality is shaped to a greater degree by worldliness than they are by the word of God. And when men like myself or women like my wife say this, the venom, the vitriol, the pushback is obscene. Mm -hmm. It's obscene. But creatures don't apologize to other creatures for what the creator has said. Mm -hmm. And these are literally matters of life or death. Let me give a couple more qualifications. We can go to marches protesting abortion. We can go to marches protesting unjust wars. We can go to marches protesting, protesting legitimate racism or the, the cutting off of body parts or whatever it might be. But what we would not do is we would not participate in a worship event, mm -hmm. a prayer event with members of other religious groups, with ecumenical worship services, for example, where you're you're pretending you're all worshiping the same God and everyone in the room knows you're not, mm -hmm. who's knowledgeable at least. 
So we don't do that. And we also want to consider the optics a little bit, although I wouldn't get too hung up on that. But you want to consider the optics, like how are you interacting at a protest or at an event with members of other religious groups? You want to be kind and gracious, but you don't want to uh, you know, make it look like you're, I don't know what that would look like. Maybe you're, you know, you're both two members of the same of different religions that both have their religious books and they're holding them up, making them look like they're on par or something like that. You wouldn't want to do that. But the reality is, Chris, the, the reason why the reason why Muslims, for example, which you know are are one of what we call the Abrahamic faiths, the reason why they in part are pushing back against the transgenderism is because of general revelation and their historical connection to the mm-hmm. to, to, Christ, to Christianity, right? Because um, uh, Muhammad, Muhammad, whether he ever read the Bible or not, is very questionable. But he had some influences from it, and uh, Muslims would affirm, for example, that Adam and Eve existed. So in a sense, the creation account of the Word of God, that Adam and Eve existed, and that we all come from one man and one woman. They would affirm that. They they would affirm in a broad sense basic human morality. Mm-hmm. And you just can't get around it. It's it, it, The question is, what's your ultimate moral source? And ours is the Bible, and theirs is the Quran. But all human beings who are made in the image and likeness of God and have observed God's attributes manifested through the created order, have a basic, they they deny it, they push it down, they they subjugate it to their own evil thoughts, but they know, for example, that murder is wrong. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows in in moments of honesty, there are only males and females. Everybody knows that. It's Mm -hmm. not even deniable. So they got to recreate the language and create new words, these word salads to try to justify it. But it's undeniable. You don't really have to convince lost people that there are men and there are women. But the the neo-pagans of our culture play all these games as if by their words, their their new incantations, they can conjure up a new reality. They can declare that maleness is is a, a a philosophical construct that doesn't actually mm-hmm. exist. No, no, there's men and there's women. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would say, yes, we can work with Muslims and Jews and others on these issues. When we did our reopening Ontario letter way back in, uh, I guess it would have been June 20, of 20, 2020, yep. 445 signatures went on that letter to the provincial government demanding that the churches be reopened. I think 443 of them were churches, and two of them, if I recall, were synagogues. We didn't mm-hmm. say, oh, you're Jews, you're not getting your name on our letter. No, we we put them on as well, and we're thankful to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, tied to this question, maybe a little bit uh, more detailed, but in terms of organizational uh, working together, I know you've shared, I think, on the podcast before about being unequally yoked in like business practice. Um, would that kind of similar idea apply to if you're um, – spearheading a organization called, well, there's one about parent parental rights. Um, would you want to set it up so that you have 51% control of what happens? Or how would you say in that, like, or just participate as a, 
a speaker, but not as an organizer that's actually formally linked arms on paper anywhere. No, I don't think we need to worry about being unequally yoked in that regard. I mean, working with people and walking alongside people is different than being yoked to them. You're yoked to someone in marriage. There's a covenantal agreement there. There's a, a legal recognition. You're yoked to someone when you go and open a business with an unbeliever. There's a, there's financial obligations. But if I'm walking down the street with a Muslim and we're protesting whatever the issue might be, we're not yoked together. At any point in time, he can go to the right and I can go to the left. So I'm comfortable with Christians being co-belligerents with non-Christians on these issues. If we get ourselves into situations where you know we are beholden to, but through legal uh, documentation, for example, we're beholden to the other. We can't escape from the relationship. We're yoked together. That's obviously a problem. But you know, political parties. We have various political parties that have uh, members of a, a broader range of range of uh, religious affiliations associated with them. But they believe on some. They believe in some common central. Um, values or policies. By the way, the um, the one downside to that is clearly you can't govern without an agreed upon morality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is one of the problems in conservative parties across Western civilization, whether it's conservative party in in England, in the UK, in Canada, the United States, other other jurisdictions, when you have conservatives that say we're conservative, but we can't even agree on moral authority. Where, like, where does our view of marriage come from? They're fiscally conservative, they say, but you can't really separate fiscal conservatism from social slash religious conservatism. They all blend together. You're, you're inevitably going to be making decisions about all sorts of issues. How money is distributed, how tax dollars are spent, what surgeries the taxpayers are going to pay for and which ones they shouldn't be paying for. Abortion, for example, transgender surgery. So economics and morality are inextricably linked. And I think one of the reasons why we see such infighting and division in conservative parties is because there's there are two or three very different views as to where their source of authority comes from. The reason why liberal type parties look like they're more united is because they all agree in humanism. Essentially, they reject God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reject the supremacy of God over human life and culture. Conservatives are a mixed bag, and this is why many who have entered into conservative parties and, and sought to take on leadership go in with good motives and they're good people and they're. Christians, for example, want to make a difference, but they find themselves extremely frustrated because ultimately no one really agrees on what quote unquote Bible they're going to use. Mm-hmm. It, it would be like going to our church and everyone brings a different Bible, or there's you know, four main sections to our auditorium, our worship center, and each person holding an ex- a, a different religious book. And so we're debating as a church, we're teaching on the value of human life and everyone has a different opinion on it because they're all reading from a different book or we're talking about the nature of marriage and there's four different views because everyone has a different book. Whereas when liberal parties, socialistic parties come together, even communists come together, they all agree that humanity is the author of 
his, her, its own fate. And so they just share opinions and whatever the consensus is among their opinions wins the day. So they appear more united. And this is why they often get elected back in over and over and over again, whereas conservative parties are always bifurcating and struggling and trying to trying to balance uh, all these different considerations and appeal to the lefties and appeal to the righties. And it, it just becomes a frustrating mess for many of them. And I don't know how many times people want to get on the merry-go-round and uh, fall off before they realize the merry-go-round isn't all that fun. Uh, I'm an idealist. Uh, I don't vote for compromise. Uh, I I, uh, I vote for people that will uphold God's laws uh, relevant to uh, civil society. And whatever the outcomes are, God is sovereign. I'm just going to live with that. But mm-hmm. I, I jumped off the merry-go-round, and um, uh, I, I just won't participate in it anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we have to learn the hard way. People have different opinions on that and make your decision as you see fit before the Lord, but ultimately we're going to have to reap the consequences. Yeah, fair enough. So what do you think um, the outcome of this is going to be? I touched on this a little bit better. Christians aren't known for long-term thinking on social issues. I think we're known for long-term thinking on eschatological <laughs> issues. Yeah, it's part great. of our faith. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. We're waiting for the millennial kingdom, at least I am. Apparently some people aren't, but I'm waiting for the millennial kingdom. Proceeded, by the way, by the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, obviously, I have friends that differ on on the timeline, but that's my view. And um, we we think long term about the, the the coming of Christ, the renewal of all things, the new heavens, the new earth, these sorts of things. But we just tend not to be long term thinkers on social issues, and maybe the delay in response, immediate response that we get is teaching Christians to be more strategic and long-term thinkers. That might be one of the benefits that come out of this, to develop perseverance, to realize, look, we got to think long-term and continue to speak the truth and love. Again, politically, I don't think there's going to be too much change. Uh, Socially, I'm very encouraged. I think specific to this movement we're discussing today, it's growing. More people are being galvanized non-Christians are saying enough's enough. What's interesting, Chris, I'll just make this little sidebar comment. It was very fascinating to me yesterday at the protest, there was a young woman that got up, very passionate, and she was decrying the fact that men, boys can identify as women, go into intimate spaces, change rooms, bathrooms, makes women feel very uncomfortable, because of um, some of them have been sexually violated. And even if they haven't, it's just weird and uncomfortable. Decrying the uh, the fact that men often try out for female sports and structurally they have an advantage to many of their female counterparts. But when she started her speech at the beginning, she said, I want to let you know I'm an atheist. I'm a feminist. But then it's morally wrong. It's wrong that... I thought to myself, that's very interesting. I'm an atheist, I'm a feminist, but it's morally wrong too. And then she went on to say many things that we would agree with. But it begs the question, what is your moral authority? This is the problem with atheism. They borrow 
for example, Christianity's morality, and they stand for it at times. Don't murder people. Don't let men go into women's change rooms and change in front of them, undress in front of them. But they don't actually have a moral authority of their own. And so when you're up there passionately, this is wrong, this is wrong, it's you're betraying yourself in many ways. If you would have simply acknowledged the supremacy of God over creation, now you have a moral authority that's believable. Now, unfortunately, there's many Christians that claim to have a moral authority, but they're scared to mention it. Yeah, yes. So you, the, the movement is growing. I think there's opportunities for us to, as Christians to display to, to atheists and Muslims the supremacy of the Christian faith, the supremacy of the Christian Bible the comprehensive worldview, properly lived out, that the, that the Christian Bible presents for all of humanity. So there's opportunities for evangelism, uh, opportunities to demonstrate the, the value and veracity of the, of the, of the Christian worldview. Um, these are some things that come to mind that I think uh, are, are going to be, if they haven't been already, or will be outcomes we can anticipate. Mm-hmm. One other thing I thought would be neat to do is go to through some of the opponents' arguments. Um, some of the things that were said on signs may be recollected by our people, our listeners, and it might be helpful to just walk through some of them and how you would respond to them. So um, you can go through a few of the examples. I know you took some down. Yeah. Well, we'll start with our friend Jugmeet Singh. Uh, he he was photographed in Ottawa and. People were shouting at him. He's standing behind this sign, and the sign said, Pride, not prejudice. So he, he thinks he's at a June Pride March again, and he's just continuing, you know, pride, pride, pride. He's accusing parents who want to know how their children are, quote unquote, identifying at school of being prejudiced. He is accusing people who don't want kids having body parts cut off of being prejudiced. So I think most logical people would recognize that that that's all nonsense, and it's almost difficult to logically argue against something that's so illogical. It's like we're talking about this. We're talking about stop chopping parts off kids, stop keeping secrets from parents, and he's walking around with some sign, pride not prejudice. It's a veiled accusation that people that are not in favor of these radical gender ideologies are somehow prejudiced, but there's no real argument there. There's no real argument. And you'll notice that with many of our opponents, there's no substance to their argument. They just literally throw names at you. You're hateful, you're prejudiced, you're discriminatory. They, they just make up words. They're bi, you're biphobic, whatever that means. They even make up language to describe themselves, 2S, LGBTQ+, blah, blah, blah. They make up language, and then they borrow Christian language, moral language, either redefine it or don't define it, and try to use it to put you on the on the defensive. Another one I'll I'll, I'll go back to is the local radio station, and I'm I'm not even going to mention the name of the station because sometimes negative publicity is positive publicity, but people in our in our listening audience who are in Windsor-Essex know exactly who I'm talking about. There's a local radio station that, again, put out that survey question and used the language anti-LGBTQ protests. They're trying to frame the argument before the protest has even happened. They're trying to frame it. And I happen to know that one of the key players there is, is, um, 
in a quote unquote same sex marriage, and is is a known liar. He lied about us uh, on 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 air back during the pandemic. Called me a liar, accused me of uh, participating in an event that I didn't participate in, and never retracted that. For example, so it is no no integrity. But they're they're going to always you got to spot the lie. They're going to reframe it. They want to try to put you back on your heels. And what you want to do is you want to you don't want to spend all your time correcting their language. You want to just keep the main things. The main things. Stop chopping parts off kids. Stop chopping parts off kids. Stop keeping secrets from parents. Stop keeping secrets from parents. Those are concrete examples of immorality. Keeping secrets from parents, chopping parts off of kids. All they have is multicolored flags and made-up language and accusations. They don't have a, there's no ar- good argument to say, yeah, you know what? I think it's a good idea for a 14-year-old. 14-year-olds are typically kind of confused about their identity, trying to fit in. I think there's a really good scientific and logical argument for allowing kids to have their penises chopped off mm-hmm. if they feel like a woman. Okay, well, what's your argument then? Mm-hmm. We were all teenagers once. We know how confused, mm-hmm. confusing that era of life was. Then we'll also have people talk about parent-parental rights. Oh, we're into parental rights, parental rights. Now, sometimes we have to borrow this language to make a point. But one of the things I think is a little bit problematic about this march is it's we want to enforce parental rights, parental rights. But if if you if you enforce parental rights, then what you could be saying is that each parent has the right to choose whether their kids have their body parts chopped off yeah, or not. Right. And from a biblical perspective, frankly. <laughs> From a common sense perspective, no parent should have the right to encourage or permit that or allow that to the child that God has entrusted to them. So we need to add to parental rights moral authority. And this is why we need to be explicitly Christian in our efforts. You know, I declared yesterday I am an unapologetic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in my speech because I want people to know where my ultimate moral authority comes from. I'm thankful that others showed up. So LGBTQ issues are... Um, are important for us to discuss. It's important for us to understand their arguments if there are any. But with regard to to schooling choices, um, we need to press, and I'm not a fan of public schools, so I think they're corrupt and will continue to be corrupt. But insofar as people in our church or elsewhere have children in public schools, we should say, look, the role of the public school is to teach the STEM subjects, the arts, social studies, and then let people take their kids home. Like, leave, stop pretending you are the parents. Literally, we have protesters, counter-protesters saying things like, well, if the kid doesn't feel safe at home, they should be able to go to the school and feel safe. Mm-hmm. This is all part of that status mindset. The, the big brother knows better. The government is smarter than you. They're the ones with the experts. The, their implication is schools are safer places than homes. Mm-hmm. It's all... Uh, part of the, the rise of the statist totalitarian, basically neo-communist, mm-hmm. mashed together with cultural Marxist uh, ideologies. So when people say things like schools need to be safe places for kids to be themselves, that's classic statism. And here's what we need to understand. The reason why the, the radical left loves statism, loves statism, is because it's so easy to manipulate. Mm-hmm because its ultimate moral authority 
rests in whoever has the reins of power. And that's why they love statism. When there's no ultimate moral authority, you can just get involved in the state and you can you can play God. You can say, oh, men can marry men. You can say boys can be girls. You can say abortion is okay. That's why the, the radical left, the godless, love statism because it gives them the opportunity to have ultimate authority over life and death. It's not guarded by biblical theology, and it's it's not even principled. It's not even a principled morality. And of course, though, we can expect that they will use hate speech laws to try to uh, silence uh, dissent, but ultimately I, I think they'll lose because it's not even a functional, livable system. Chris, I also thought it might be helpful for me just to review five things I shared at the protest that uh, I think are, are worth repeating. Um, so as we kind of wind up this podcast on the the, the One Million March for Children, there's, there's, there's some talking points that I think are worth putting out there, reminding people of to help frame the argument. And um, they they should appeal to people of all faiths. They should have some sticking power uh, even beyond the Christian church. Like if we don't agree with these things, then uh, we're dead in the water. So one would be that parents, not teachers, are responsible to raise children. Now, as a Christian, we would say, under God, under God, under God. But parents, uh, we, we should all agree that parent, parents are the ones that gestate the children, birth the children, feed the children, care for the children, have ultimate responsibility for the children. Unless a parent's trying to abuse or kill their child, commit criminal acts, parents, not teachers, should raise children. And so we reminded our teachers here in this area and in our country that um, uh, teachers are employees of parents in that respect and should never violate parental authority. So any attempt to keep secrets is 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 frankly very dangerous. Secondly, let's talk about taxes. Now, Christians often talk about rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And so I think most of us could say, you know, we we maybe, maybe even more than other groups have paid our taxes over the years. Mm-hmm. And we often would confront people who don't don't pay their taxes or who try to skirt around some of the tax laws. But it's it's come to a point where there's a lot of frustration from people because we're paying out half of our incomes or more in, in taxes, either on our income and then with our purchases and all these other carbon taxes and whatnot that are added on to it. We're, we're paying tens of thousands of dollars. Every, every household in Canada is paying tens of thousands of dollars in taxes a year, and one of those things they're paying for is education. But increasingly, our kids are not getting educated. They're not knowledgeable in sciences and math and history, geography. This is not unique to Canada. It's, for instance, in the United States, and I'll just kind of tease on my American brothers a little bit. I've been to the United States endless times, did a couple degrees there. They're they need to start teaching global geography in American schools. I mean, their their lack of awareness of the globe is frankly at times astonishing. I've I have literally crossed the bridge into Michigan or driven one hour to Ohio 
endless times and talk to Americans that don't didn't even know Canada was an hour away or 30 minutes away or that across the Ambassador Bridge is a country called Canada. They're just completely un- oblivious to it, and it's sad. So it's those basic subjects, we have uh, growing problems with illiteracy in our in our public schools. Mm-hmm. I know I have five siblings. The first four of us made it through literate. My two younger brothers really struggled with reading and writing because they changed, they, they ditched phonics. They, they, they basically stopped teaching people how to sound out words. And it, a, a generation or so of kids really struggled with literacy as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And so we see that taking place. Uh, the, the education, the educational standards, I believe, have dropped. Mm-hmm. Even in Bible colleges, four-year degrees have become three-year degrees, five-year degrees have become four-year degrees. Language requirements have been dropped. Uh, the University of Windsor, one of my, I'll just say family members, graduated with a bachelor's degree from the local university and said in their final year of an undergraduate degree, they didn't write one test, submit one paper. They literally had no homework, zero. Mm-hmm. Zero for an entire year. Everything was participation marks. We're handing out undergraduate degrees with no testing apart from participation marks. It's pretty subjective. Mm-hmm. So educational standards, I believe, are dropping, but indoctrination is increasing, and it's religious in nature. And the God of this new religion is not a benevolent God, and he's not the creative God that puts boundaries in place for human behavior. And we need to say that our tax dollars should not be used to indoctrinate children in, for example, radical gender ideology. And I laud those that took their kids out of school yesterday in protest. I would just go a step further and say, take them out tomorrow and the next day and the next day and permanently until these things change. Homeschool, uh, you can order curriculum for a nominal fee from the public school and educate using public school curriculum at home. You can send your kid to a classical Christian school, a Christian school. We have our own shtick in our church, and we we think our school is the best school. But we don't think that that means that people that send their kids to another school or or take other uh, perform other um, take advantage of other schooling options are bad people. We totally respect parental authority in that regard. As part of our view of sphere sovereignty, we don't stigmatize people that homeschool. We have a homeschooling network connected with our church as well. Uh, but we started a classical school for a reason. You don't start something unless you think it's going to be good, right? Yeah. So we we promote ours, but by promoting ours, we're not denigrating others. We're just saying there's options available for for others out there to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And um, the third thing, how can we not agree with this? Children, children are not mentally, they're not physically, they're not socially, they're not emotionally mature enough to be exposed to naked men in pride parades. Mm -hmm. Really, how can anyone, including the quote-unquote gay community, disagree with us on that point? This should be something that's all over the the local news. Everyone should agree with that. Minimally, as a nation, can we not agree that children should not be exposed to naked people on the streets? can Can we not agree that diagrams depicting anal sex, oral sex, sodomite sex, why are we exposing little children to this? You think people should be okay with that and be accused of, oh, you're prejudiced, you're biphobic, you're transphobic if you don't let your little boy look at gay porn. Like, what? How demonic can you possibly be to, 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 to consent to that kind of behavior? And again, when 
every, every sociologist and counselor and parent and adult knows that teenage the teenage years are confusing. I remember being a teenager many, many years ago, and I'm a confident enough guy as an adult, but I, I was like, I don't, I don't know how to interact with girls. How do you ask a girl out? Like it's, it may be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a father around, so I had to think about, you know, what is my role as a, a male? What I do? I even have the goods to be a, a competent father? Uh, you're asking all these questions. People, I remember showing up to grade nine, and I, I thought I would sort of, I don't know, dress in my Sunday best, <laughs> and I showed up first day to grade nine and a bunch of older guys kind of made fun of me for my, what I was wearing. And it, it unsettles you as a teenager. Well, add to that, what about kids that have been sexually abused? By God's grace, I was never sexually abused. I remember a couple of perverts, men actually, approaching me uh, in malls or as young as 10 years old, uh, making quote-unquote passes at me, sexual passes at me. But by God's grace, I was never sexually abused, but what if I was? And no one had ever counseled me through what it means to be a man or what creational sexuality looks like. And in a subculture of the school, someone says, hey, Aaron, you're actually a girl. You should be a girl. Who knows where my life would have gone? And What kind of an adult who knows anything about the, the confusion that is part of the teenage years would say, yeah, you're 13 or 14. I know you feel like a girl, so let's let's permanently cut your genitals off. Mm-hmm. Like you can't reverse that when you're 21 and you're 25 and you're like, what was I thinking? Now I understand who I am. How can we possibly permit that to take place in our schools? So we've said, and many of others, many others have said it even outside of the church, there's no such thing as trans kids. There's boys and there's girls. Why are we making up this new new reality? It's not, it's fake. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion. So we have to we have to agree with that, uh, ag- agree to these things as an as a nation if we're going to move forward. And then uh, we would also speak to the minority groups that pride movements and whatnot. Frankly, I think they've had it pretty easy. They have government funding for some of their parades. They have police escorts. They have corporations and media on side and schools flying their flag. We get it. We've heard your message. We don't agree with it. We're never going to agree with it, okay? Mm-hmm. But right now, uh, our main objective is not your parades. Y- you should be joining arms with other people saying, look, we, we have our seasons. We have our, we have, you have equal protections under law. Stop pretending that you're discriminated against. People will disagree with you. Just like you disagree with me. I don't go around, Christophobia, Christophobia when a Muslim disagrees with me or an atheist disagrees with me, stop pretending you're discriminated against, you're not. Every time someone objects to your views, stop pretending you're discriminated against. We've heard you out, we know what you believe, we're just saying leave our kids alone. Leave our kids alone. Let's call a truce when it comes to the kids, leave our kids alone. And finally, uh, you know, we do need to de- declare that we're unapologetically Christian, and because of that, we have a moral and theological responsibility to speak out against evil. And it's evil to sterilize children. Mm-hmm. It's evil to indoctrinate children and to confuse them by not telling them, no, you are a boy or you are a girl. 
if when they're adults, and we don't agree with this and it's morally wrong, we do care about this, but if when they're adults, a guy wants to go around pretending to be a girl, I don't think we're going to be having million person marches about that. Mm -hmm. But if you tell children, a little boy, you're actually a girl, you can act like a girl, we're going to allow you to be a girl at school because your mom and dad aren't safe because they don't believe you're a girl. We know better than your parents. This is your safe place. No, we're going to speak out against that and say enough's enough. It's not going to happen. And and I reminded our audience yesterday that we'll, we'll ultimately we're going to win this because it's not even sustainable. If we don't win, we won't have a civilization. So we have to win. Or Jesus is going to come back. And we will not be silent. Uh, together we can love in our kids by by protecting them from harm. And, and um, so I, I, I want to commend everyone that participated. I'd encourage you to continue to participate and use all your various platforms, your sermons, your podcasts, your media accounts to continue to speak the truth. And we speak the truth in love, love for God and love for our fellow man. Mm-hmm. If people want to follow you on social media to know about these events and ahead of time, I know sometimes you post what's coming up. Um, what social media platforms are you on these days? Well, if you're a troll, you can go to at Christopher Eelman dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I am active on Twitter at Dr. Aaron Rock. So D-R-A-A-R-O-N-R-O-C-K. And I am active on um, Facebook. Facebook. All right. Uh, you can just Google Aaron Rock. And um, yeah, if you want to follow or participate in the discussion, you can do so there. I I, uh, I I actually let people voice their differences on my social media platform. I, I'm not like a real quick to hit the block button, but I, I will hit the block button for people that promote lies mm-hmm. or are blasphemers or frankly, or just act like idiots. So if you, if you're, there's sometimes I have people who post things that are just really nonsensical, but I, I sense they're trying to be respectful. I, I let the comments stand. I, I rarely respond to comments and almost never respond more than once. But if you, so if if a person wants to come on my social media accounts and just say thing, like use my platform to articulate their beliefs, but they don't use their own platform or they're being belligerent or disrespectful, they get the gonzo button. Yeah. But otherwise, um, you know, there's thousands of people on those platforms that listen into the conversations we're having. So people would be welcome to be part of that. That's good. Well, just a reminder to our listeners, you can also find this podcast on the uh, pursuitofglory.org website, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast network um, and their companion app. You can check those things out. Thank you, Aaron, for going and leading and speaking yesterday. I wasn't able to make your speech, but I made the march. Had a class here first thing in the morning, but uh, a good a good turnout and a good event all around. So hopefully each of you listening in today will tune in again next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Roth.